We're glad that you are here. Uh, whether you are uh, a first-time visitor, whether you are investigating the Christian faith, whether you are a family friend of the Lammers or of some of our new elders being installed, whatever has brought you here this morning, welcome in the name of Jesus. We're glad that you are here. We have a special service this morning because we are installing the new elders that you have nominated and we have tested, vetted, and trained for eight months and then They've gone through the exams of their lifetime, and then they have been confirmed by you. So it's a great day of celebration. And so we're taking a break from the book of Exodus, and we are reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, I will try and be brief today. But here to read today's scripture is Jenny. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we will be explaining briefly the role of shepherd or elder and encouraging our new elders to pursue being shepherds the way the gospel tells us to. For those of you who are investigating the Christian faith, this is a good moment for you to get an under the hood deep dive into what it means to be Christians and what Christians think leadership should look like, not what it always has looked like. And for those of us who are Christians, it's a reminder of the way God knits us all together in the gospel into a family, for that is what we are. I will try to keep it brief. Pray for me. <laughs> What I'd like to do today is look at the three prerequisites uh, in this passage that are given about the role of gospel shepherding. It asks and answers three basic questions. Firstly, what is gospel shepherding? Secondly, how do we gospel shepherd? And thirdly, why? Yes, it's a pretty basic one. What, how, and why? And let's go through those. What is gospel shepherding? Peter opens this fifth chapter as a fellow elder. He's an apostle calling himself a fellow elder. And he says, I'm a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker, fellow partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then he gives the big picture. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then he gives us one word to help explain it. Exercising oversight. Elders, what Peter as an apostle said was his function is yours. You carry the weight of the spiritual health of the people in your church. That is what it means to be an elder. It is to be a shepherd. A shepherd of sheep bears the responsibility and accountability to care for 
to guide, to guard, to keep safe, to feed, to allow to grow and mature their sheep. The shepherd feeds them, guides them, protects them as they grow, live, and journey, and that, elders, is what we are called to do to we, to the rest of us. It is a great weight. I will not get around it, for there is no getting around it. It is a great responsibility. There is accountability, there is responsibility that accompanies any authority. The Apostle Paul weighed in on this very issue when in Acts 20, verse 28, he said something markedly similar. He said, as he was journeying to Jerusalem to his arrest and eventual martyrdom, these words, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word, oversight to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul uses a word here for careful attention that is similar to what Peter is saying. The word means to be in a continuous state of readiness, to learn of any future danger, need, or error, and to respond to that danger, need, or error appropriately. That is what it means to exercise oversight. The Greek word, is episcopeo, from which we get episcopal, or bishop, or overseer. To oversee is to bear the responsibility and authority to care for and to make flourish those under your care. If the church is spiritually immature, elders, God will look to you as primarily accountable for that. If the church has toxic authoritarian leadership, elders, God will look to you. If the church is divided, God will look to us who are elders. We are called to shepherd, to guard, to help people know how they should live, to guard against false doctrines, false divisions, false conceits, false ideas of what it means to follow Jesus. We are called to guard, but we are also called to guide to help people to understand the gospel and its implications so that they should know what they should know and they should know how they should live. Shepherds literally give directions to sheep, go this way, come. No, you're going the wrong way, go this way. There's a guiding function. It's not always easy. They're called to feed to lead sheep to places where they can feed, to graze, sometimes to actually provide the food for them. This is what shepherds are to do, to make sure that the people of God are fed the good news of Jesus, the grace of God and the gospel, to teach them the doctrines of Christianity, to teach them the freedom of Christianity, to teach them the power of Christianity, to teach them the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of their life and his call to every one of us to follow him, to guard, to guide, to feed, to turn back. Sheep are prone to wander. I don't know if you've watched any of your social media memes. Some of them are pretty funny. My favorite one is the sheep stuck in a trench, can't move, they get him out, and he goes bounding away, two bounds, and he bounds right back in the trench, and he's stuck again. That's what sheep do. That's what you and I do. 
We stop gossiping for a while, get in the wrong crowd, get a little frustrated, boom, comes out again. Men stop looking at porn for a while, or women, boom, start again. Or sheep. It's what we do. That's why we need shepherds. So this word oversight, though it connotes a kind of authority, is a servant kind of authority. Because the purpose is care and love and the spiritual nourishing of people. Let me give you another use of that Greek word that means oversight. In Matthew 25, Jesus says to people who are pretending to follow him, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Episcopeo me, care for me. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews doesn't use the word, but he gives the concept beautifully. See to it, elders, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, that by it many may become defiled. Elders, this is the high and holy calling that Jesus has given to you, to shepherd this flock, to love them, nourish them, care for them, guide them, guard them, protect them, turn them back from wandering. This is your task. How do you do it? He gives three contrasts here. Three what not to do, but what to do. Because I think Peter recognizes three temptations that are common to those of us in any kind of spiritual authority like an elder. He says, he, he, he says, first, doing it willingly, not under compulsion. Secondly, he says, do it eagerly, not for shameful gain. And thirdly, do it as examples, but not domineering over those in your charge. And here I think Peter is looking at the idols which tempt all of us. Not for shameful gain, the idol of greed. Not domineering, the idol of power. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as we'll see, the idol of comfort and control. Let's look at those three idols. For they afflict all of us, and elders, they tempt us as well. Firstly, do it willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Now, in Peter's day, when he's writing... He knows that the elders of the church, some are paid, some are not, same in our situation. The elders of the church will be the first in line if a hostile culture decides to persecute. They will be the ones arrested. They will be the ones martyred. At a time of intense persecution, which was beginning to happen, probably when Peter wrote, being a leader of the church could cost you your life certainly your career, and it most certainly puts you front and center in the spiritual battle as someone that the, the enemy of our souls wants to take out. And I submit to you this reality continues today. If you are going to be an elder, you are front and center in the spiritual warfare presently taking place here and around the world. The weight is great. The danger is real. The culture is indifferent to hostile. 
There is a hermeneutic of suspicion against church leaders in our culture, churches in our culture, partly due to the sad history of residential schools in Canada at the present moment, but it exists. Paul, David, Dave, none of you wanted to be elders. This applies to you, but I want to speak for a moment to Paul. Paul, you resisted becoming an elder fiercely. How many times did we go out at hammer and tongue in my house? David, so. How many times were you cornered in the backyard of my house or Ozzy's house and said, you should become an elder? Dave Chan, how many times did you say, I feel inadequate? Dave, you were absolutely right. But God's called you. The elders have seen it in you. The church has nominated and confirmed it in you. It's a great way. It's your way. You can carry it. Secondly, do it sacrificially. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Paul here recognizes that in the early church, some elders were paid to be elders. That's the role of what we normally in evangelical churches call pastors. Uh, in our denomination, we call them teaching elders. They've been professionally trained and they get paid. I am one of them. Kingsley is another one of them. But the elders that you have nominated and we're talking about today are lay people. They have their own jobs. So I could skip this because it doesn't apply to any of you three. But I do want to note this. Peter does not envision elders becoming elders because the money is so good. The Bible teaches that teaching elders should be paid appropriately, but should not be going because the money is that good. The prosperity gospel advances that idea that pastors should be paid exorbitant amounts. I say the gospel refutes that. You should become an elder to give, not to get. The Greek word eagerly, sometimes translated eager to serve. And I think that's the proper sense of the word here. You are doing it sacrificially. Finally, do it relationally. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I was speaking recently with an old friend who has... Um, now gotten into the C-suite level at a major company. And he was mentioning that the leadership culture at the firm he is at is technically perfect. They check off all the boxes of HR performance and company benefits, et cetera. They're regularly listed as one of the best companies to work for. But behind closed doors in the C-suites, he says the company culture is relentlessly performance-driven. People are regularly fired when they don't perform. Bonuses are generously given to those that do. And that is typical of most successful companies in our culture and in most other cultures. He then said something very insightful. Companies talk all the time about we're a family here. And he said, that's a lie. We are not. Take your work as work because we don't care about you. 
It's a transactional relationship. They care as they are paid to care about what the company tells them to care about. Profits, shareholder, satisfaction, stock price. This is the work culture that has endured men and women despite multiple several social revolutions since like forever. This is the work culture that dominates our culture and our world. And it is the leadership culture that we have created. And I say we meaningfully. Why? Because it reflects who we are. We are these kinds of people. Give us enough power. Let us close the door. And these kinds of values tend to dominate us. They will tempt us and they will sway us. Profit margins, bonuses, reports to shareholders, stock values. This is who we will become if we have the opportunity. But let's go deeper. There is a lot of naive, idealistic talk in our culture about the innate goodness of people, the brotherhood and sisterhood of humanity. That didn't age well this week, did it? Strip away the veneer of how wonderful we claim we are. Let us look at the darkness we have really seen. Not only in the attacks and the burnings of babies, the rapes of women and the unspeakable things done by Hamas, but in the swastikas painted on German buildings and the gas that Jews chants that are in demonstration in cities around the world after the attacks. Gas that Jews. I am not here to take sides. But if you cannot call what happened evil, then I fear for your soul. This last week is a call for all of us to wake up and look deeply into the mirror. What do we see? We see that there resides in humanity a heart of darkness that lurks, a deep bent towards evil and cruelty. It is not racial. It's not reserved for certain people as many of our ancestors believed. It is not religious as many anti-Islamic people may presently argue. It is not gender-based, as some radical progressives may presently argue. It is human-based. It is in us. There is a will to power, a will to control, a will to lever influence and money for darkly selfish and evil purposes in all of us, given the chance and elders even in us. There is a kind of authority implicit in that word oversight, in leading a church, some kind of responsibility and opportunity to shape and control the direction and trajectory of a group of people that is yours to wield. But we wield it, not as domineering, not as allowing the restraint freedom that power gives to allow us to domineer but as servants, as leaders of a family in our manner of leaving, not to domineer, but to serve, to put away any deep, selfish, dark roots that reside in all of us and to sacrificially, relationally, 
and willingly give our lives, our time, our emotions for the love and encouragement and flourishing of our sheep. Gospel leadership is servant leadership, family leadership, relational, sacrificial leadership. It says we lead by an inspiring example. And I want to talk to all three of you because all three of you don't think you are. David, so. Someone told you you didn't have the chops to be an elder. She was wrong. You have the chops to be an elder. You have been an example of between the lines, quiet service for decades to people, caring and generously pouring out your life. But you've not wanted people to see because you didn't think your example was good enough. I tell you, it is good enough, and we are glad that God has called you. David Chan, you felt too young. You have young kids. Life is overwhelming. You don't think you lead by example. Your love, your service, your sacrificial care for people leaves me in tears at times. Paul, you old codger, you. (laughs) You've done this before. You've been an elder. You tried to say it's not your calling. Nice try. You're older now. You're more elder than when you were an elder. (laughs) Since the day you came, you've been serving. You jumped in with that group of people most likely to fit you, young adults, in your retirement because you wanted to sacrificially serve another generation. Men, I look in the mirror and I see my sin. I look at you and I see Jesus. And I'm so glad that you fit these qualifications. But let us remember finally why we do it. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Don't expect a lot of cheers this side of eternity. Don't expect the applause of the sheep that you serve. If you are blessed, they will be mature enough to encourage you. But you are called to look for rewards, not now in this life, which is the chief error of our culture, but to know that there is a God who loves you and sent his son to die for you and rose that you will rise with him and says, there's a day when you will face me and I will look at you and I will give you an unfading crown of glory and you will weep tears of joy. Your reward is not on this earth, but it is in his hands and you will see it in his eyes and that day you will say, it is worth it because he is worthy. Because there's one who came before you, who is willing to come, not under compulsion, but willingly into this sin, sick, evil, ravaged world as God himself. Even though he knew it would mean his own suffering, alienation, and death. And that is Jesus, who is willing to give, not get, 
who came not to accrue wealth, but to give the wealth of his life away. The Son of Man who came to give his own righteousness away as a gift to you and me who want forgiveness. We can get it because he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many who came to be an example. He is our example. He is your example. He died for you. He rose for you. And he got his father's approval, the unfading right hand of his father. And you will get the same. That's how you shepherd. Finally, that's why you shepherd, excuse me. Finally, there's a little application for the rest of us. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, <laughs> be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a humble thing to be an elder. It's a humble thing to be under authority and submit and be subject to elders. Humility of service and time and longing and shepherding is what's called for them. The humility of being willing to be shepherded is what we are called to do. Be humble about your own station. The easiest thing a congregant can do is sit back and criticize the leadership of your church or any other church. It's so easy, isn't it? Let's go out to lunch and have roast sermon. Grilled elder for lunch. I've been guilty of it. I have a critical spirit. I did it for a decade before becoming a pastor. But clothe yourself in humility. You aren't all that. You aren't. And then come help serve and make this better. I was doing a membership class, and we were talking about the values, and one person had the courage to say, I don't think you really do this very well. He named one of the values we had, and then we polled the congregation and, that was there, and they agreed with this person. And so I met with this person, and I said, you know, I'm, I really appreciate your insight, but can you help fix it? He said, I'd love to. He's running the sound booth. He's running the volunteers. He has a theology degree, but he works downtown, and he gives sacrificially of his time. His name is Ben. He didn't want the attention, but I asked his permission to out him. <laughs> Elders, be like the elders that have served so faithfully, not perfectly. Be like Jesus, congregation. Be like Ben. I see Jesus in Ben. I want to see Jesus in the way you respond to the elders. Let us pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.